if you're going for the, the easy of tiring process in the world for workers and employers, then you don't want employers to come with 30 product ideas about features they could add to that process. Because anytime that you add a feature, it's going to mean that half the workers drop off, a third of the workers drop off, you're muddying up the process, and you're actually defeating the purpose that the requester had in mind when they made the request. While it benefits the client, it's going to disadvantage themselves. Or while it may benefit one part of the client, it may deter or detract from their overall goal of employing as many great people as possible. My name is Jason Radisson. I'm the founder and CEO at Movo. This is Code Story, a podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries. Spent six months moonlighting. There's nothing on the backhand. Who share what it takes to change an industry. I don't exactly know what to do next. took many goes to get right. Who built the teams that have their back. Our company is its people. The teams help each other achieve. Most proud of our team. Keeping scalability top of mind. All that infrastructure was a Yes, we've been fighting it as we grow. Total waste of time. The stories you don't read in the headlines. It's not an easy thing to achieve, Mike. Took it off the shelf and dusted it off and tried it again. To ride the ups and downs of the startup life. You need to really it's want it. Not just about technology. All this and more on Code Story. I'm your host, Noah Labhart, and today, how Jason Radisson has created the platform to supercharge operations, enabling real-time workforce management. This episode is supported by Terso. Terso is the open-sourced edge database from the creators of LibSQL. Do you put your edge computing close to your users? You should put your data there, too. Terso makes this easy, utilizing the developer experience of SQLite. Access a free starter plan at terso.tech slash codestory. Terso, welcome to the Data Edge. This episode is brought to you by our friends at MemberStack. MemberStack is the fastest way for you to launch a beautiful Webflow MVP with robust authentication and smooth payments integration. Join companies like Slack and American Airlines in serving millions of members every single day. Get started for free by visiting memberstack.com slash codestory. Jason Radisson had a tough childhood being born to a 16-year-old single mom. He grew up on a rural place and his journey required him to work jobs to get ahead and figure the world out at a young age. He was always interested in math and sports, which led him down the path to study economics and applied mathematics, eventually working for McKinsey. Today, he's married with small kids and enjoys an active outdoor life, specifically participating in distance sports, i.e. biking or running. Through his career, Jason gained great experience in the gig economy through his time at Uber and other ventures in Latin America. He saw many shifts in the market through his time and throughout the pandemic, and he saw that people were looking to maximize the productivity of the workforce they currently had. This is the creation story of Movo. Movo is a workforce automation platform. It's a relatively new software category that allows big companies to run really large teams all in real time. Every worker or every frontline employee in the company, and we're talking all kinds of verticals from medical hospital field to logistics, everybody is on the app 
all shift long all the time. And there's even a lot of stuff that they can do in the app. Their whole work life is there and they can do a lot of the stuff that they need to when they're not on shift. Just schedule notifications, chat with coworkers, do shift swaps, sign up for new learning opportunities or cross-training opportunities. And we even have a social feed modeled on endurance sports where you know, a lot of the platforms that are out there have what I like to call a virtuous social network where you can follow other athletes, whether they're hobby athletes or professional athletes. You can see what they're doing and the successes and setbacks that they're having, and you can learn a lot from that and you can engage with them. And in Movo, our employees that are on the platform or our clients' employees that are on the platform when they complete a shift, that shift gets posted to their followers and their followers or other colleagues. We try to foster a real-time modern workplace in this virtual layer. Moho is essentially this virtual layer on top of a large hospital, a large retailer, a large logistics company's business. And all their workers are there, all their supervisors are there, their execs are there, and everybody is, is interacting on these things. Everything from employee scheduling, as I said, to social feed. I had an idea for a company like this when I was working in the gig economy. I was an executive at Uber. I was chief operating officer at 99 Taxis. I had a lot of just really deep experiences in this gig economy world. I also was an early investor and, and advisor to the Rappi co-founders. And I think one of my takeaways was ride sharing and, and delivery. The gig economy really only worked in Latin America, not in the way that people would expect. I think in a lot of ways, the gig economy is an antidote for the challenging situation that people have in Latin America as employers and employees, meaning there's a bunch of corruption, difficult government red tape, just really crazy labor markets where a bunch of people are working under the table. So I looked at all those experiences and I said, yes, you have to land the right features, but you got to land them in the right spots. And the other part of it that really rubbed me wrong growing up the way I grew up was I didn't want to cut corners with the workers. In a country like ours, where we have such a beautiful and clean zero hour W-2 format of employment, there's no need to do 1099. It's just corner cutting. The vast majority of workers are looking for a paycheck that they can earn a living, that they can, it's a sustainable wage, they can feed their families, they can put their kids through school and, and whatnot. So those are all going to be jobs that are 40 hours a week, probably at least. And then on top of that, you're going to want benefits and you're going to want some kind of career path. When we first set out to build Movo, it was let's build the software and a marketplace where, you know, where this can happen. And one thing led to another in the pandemic, the market was extremely focused on gaps in employment. Everybody was down 20% of their workforce in the front line across frontline professions, some worse, some better. And we were so busy, we were 10 times overbooked on just clients who were just desperate for any help that they could get. Where things have gone since the pandemic is really that part of the market cooled down. I think a lot of people, truly entry-level jobs, a lot of them got automated away. It's a little bit of what's showing up a bit in employment numbers, and we definitely see it on the ground in plants. Things that used to be a line of packagers manually packaging things are now replaced by a packaging robot or a palleting robot and some of these other things. A lot of those entry-level jobs got replaced. 
I think the other part of it too is a lot of people have just learned to deal with having lower employment uh, volumes in their facilities. We've moved very much towards filling in the rest of the features that you need and the functions that you need to be able to support the use cases that big clients have where they're trying to make absolutely as much productivity out of the existing workforce that they have. And some of those big levers are things like scheduling automation, substitution automation, load balancing, where you're moving workers between lines and between buildings or between hospital floors, provided they have the qualifications to move in and out of different teams. You've got a bit of internal flex that you're doing where you're moving people around. It's the modern version of staffing. I think staffing is super antiquated in the sense like nobody wants to hire and fire, right, in a declining workforce. It's really more about how do I make more out of the resources that I have? And that's clearly make sure they're not sitting idle ever. (laughs) Where you have gaps and things, have some flexible resources around that you can use to plug gaps. It becomes a benefit to an existing worker to pick up a few extra hours on a shift, jumping in for somebody else. Versus bringing a temp from the market and having to worry about whether or not they are qualified enough and having to onboard them and whatever. So we've really enabled this kind of internal talent marketplace with these new features and capabilities that we've built out. Let's dive into the MVP, so that first version of the product you built. How long did it take to build and what sort of tools were used to bring it to life? The first challenge that we were solving was how do we basically solve the hiring problem? Hiring automation per se, a big part of the challenge is getting the employee through paperwork, validating, doing any of the HR compliance steps, and then validating their credentials and then getting them started. And our goal was let's make this the minimum possible keystrokes essentially to get somebody hired. We've been through scenarios where you have to take something that's relatively hard to do in the physical world and you have to bring it onto software and then you have to make it as easily doable or as few keystrokes, as as few calories as possible for the user. So we really viewed employment as a first use optimization problem. Like objectively, there's probably a best possible scenario, which is like with two clicks, I'm hired. But life is messier than that, and it's not going to be two clicks. I need to give 10 pieces of data, and then we need to hit kind of five or six different public and private databases to validate a bunch of stuff. We shrank that kind of whole hiring and onboarding process that set down to a one or two minute process. The major challenge, that was largely a bunch of bots. We built a pretty straightforward hiring app. Like a lot of teams, we were experimenting with doing it natively or doing it with different frameworks. We ended up doing it at Flutter to just have speed to market on both sides. We were still a little bit up in the air on where the user base was going to come down and if we would have benefit on iOS or Android with going native in our different markets, in our different test markets as we were betaing things out. So we went Flutter, we went both at the same time, and we went US, and we fast-followed in Colombia, actually, Colombia and then Peru. That was how we got things right up off the ground in a very quick way. It took us like basically a month or six weeks to get to MVP. And we were out there hiring tens of thousands of people within uh, a month or two in. This episode is encrypted by Cypherstash. Data breaches are becoming a fact of life. Know why? 
One of the reasons is because developers lack the right tooling to get the job done, i.e. encryption at rest tools are complex and inadequate. The solution? Encryption in use with Cypherstash. Cypherstash uses searchable encryption in use technology, providing continuous and universal protection for sensitive data. With Cypherstash, you can turn your existing database into a vault, utilizing zero-trust key management, SQL native, and with no code. Though encryption is complicated, Cypherstash is easy to use. The tool fully supports SQL via a drop-in driver replacement, supporting the query types you know and love today. And did we mention it's fast? For queries over 100 million records, you can expect additional overhead of less than one millisecond. It's a no-brainer. Get started by reviewing their docs or downloading sample projects in Rails or Node plus SQLize today. Visit cypherstash.com slash codestory and get started protecting your data. This episode is supported by Treble. This day and age, APIs are a fact of life. And as such, product and engineering teams need tooling that is lightweight, real-time, and data-rich to help them ship and maintain APIs faster. That's where Treble comes in. Treble is an all-in-one platform for the entire API lifecycle. The product offers world-class monitoring and observability, providing more than 40 data points for each request, enabling you to understand everything from performance to user behavior. Dashboards help connecting your entire team for lifecycle collaboration. Documentation is automatically generated, saving massive amounts of time for your development team with every new release. And setting up Treble? Super easy and fast. In three simple steps, you can be up and running with their platform. Their pricing is designed to support API teams of all sizes. So get started with Treble today and automate your API ops. Did I mention they have a free forever plan? Find out more by visiting treble.com slash codestory. That's T-R-B-L-L-E dot com slash codestory. So you got the MVP, it's working. How did you progress the product from there and mature it? And I think to wrap that in a box a little bit, what I'm looking for is how you built your roadmap and how you went about deciding, okay, this is the next most important thing to build or to address with Movo. I think fundamentally as a founder, as an entrepreneur, I look at a big problem in the world and then I cross check what's the state of technology in the world that we could use to solve this problem that isn't being addressed right now. And what you have to do is you have to unconstrain that with any kind of vertical notion or otherwise. You know, one of the best ways to decide what kind of promotion to put on an item actually goes back to some of the yield management principles from the early days of airline pricing algorithms. You're basically taking some of those early technologies that American Airlines and companies like Pros and some of the, the, the very earliest algorithmic companies in the world were applying and you're applying them 20 years later into an e-commerce environment, 20 years later, 15 years later, whatever. I think about our problem in a similar way. The problem of getting people employed in a very frictionless way, there's an absolute maximum, there's an absolute optimum, which is like, it's no effort. You just think about having the job and you get the job. And then you work backwards from that into what sort of the software that would be the lightest possible way to do it. And then, you know, I think as a founder, you drive with brakes and gas at the same time. And so sometimes you may fully be hitting the gas and then lightly tapping the brakes. And some of these are on client-specific or market-specific requirements. If you're going for the, the easiest hiring process in the world for workers and employers, then you don't want 
employers to come with 30 product ideas about features they could add to that process. Because anytime that you add a feature, it's going to mean that half the workers drop off, a third of the workers drop off, you're muddying up the process and you're actually defeating the purpose that the requester thought they had in mind when they made the request, if that makes sense. So overall, you're looking for this best possible technical solution for the problem. And then you make compromises with the real world in terms of what you're uh, allowing to get onto the team's product roadmap, because while it benefits the client, it's going to disadvantage themselves. And while it may benefit one part of the client, it may deter, detract from their overall goal of employing as many great people as possible. And it's another way of saying, I think I have a general philosophy on software, which is you have to build software where you have multiple parties two-sided marketplace, a three-sided marketplace, operational software where you have both plant managers and employees, frontline employees on that platform or hospital administrators and frontline nurses. You've got to build the platform so that you find win solutions. Ideally, in finding the right solution, you can find a way to benefit both sides. Okay, so let's switch to team then. So how did you go about building your team? And what did you look for? And those people to indicate that they were the winning horses to join you. I think with team, it's another combination of the problem you're trying to solve has expertise. And I think the thing that's needed to solve it and team members generally have multiple skills. Specifically, I picked an experienced team that fit the problem that, that we're trying to solve. And some of it's opportunistic to some of our talent we got right after the company was just bought and there were things like that, or a person comes available on the market, or somebody has been working at Uber for several years and is just itching to get out there and build something new on their own and, and those kinds of things. I think it's really important that some of the team members, it doesn't have to be all, but that some have worked together before and there's a handful of us We've worked together in a couple of companies and we've known each other for 10, 12, 15 years. I think that's super helpful too. It just makes all that learning curve like just that much quicker and easier. This episode is supported by Terso. Terso is the open source edge database from the creators of LibSQL, the popular fork of SQLite. If you put your edge computing close to your users, like with Netlify or Vercel edge functions or Cloudflare workers, you should put your data there too in order to maximize performance gains at the edge. Terso makes it easy. With a developer experience of SQLite in a distributed database, you can replicate much closer to your users than traditional database offerings in the cloud. Terso's lightweight, easy to use, and free to get started. The team at Terso is offering a generous starter plan specifically for Code Story listeners. Head over to terso.tech codestory and get started today. That's T-U-R-S-O dot tech slash code store. Terso, welcome to the Data Edge. This episode was automatically optimized by Cast. If you run cloud-native software on AWS, Google Cloud, or Azure, you know how out of hand the bill can get. This uncertainty hurts your business, but you can solve it with Cast AI. Cast AI automates cloud cost, performance, and security management for hundreds of companies of all sizes. The platform's customers begin saving immediately and cut an average of over 60%. So before you go and sign a multi-year contract with a cloud provider or lay people off, check out what Cast AI can do for you. 
To get you saving even faster, CastAI is offering a free cloud cost audit with a personal consultation. Visit cast.ai slash codestory to get started. Let's flip to scalability, and this will be interesting. Did you build this to scale from day one or with scale in mind? And then in particular, the technology, um, or is there anywhere that you're fighting it or had to fight it as you grew? It's a little bit of both. It's a balancing act when you talk about how you choose to architect things. We picked an architecture that would scale. And I think that's, we found it was worth spending some time to think about how the platform would scale. There are a lot of important techniques and tactics there, but definitely infrastructure is code. And thinking about what does this look like if we grow a thousand percent in this next month or two and how will we handle that kind of growth? And I, I think once you start lining up your enterprise sales things, and you get a repeatable sales process, you get a repeatable onboarding process, that curve starts to become more of a line and not a jaggy <laughs> upward hook. We were thinking about things like on an early stage startup budget, what's the kind of infrastructure we can put in place here, knowing that as the time comes, we want to be able to just not have growing pains. The other big area to think about in scaling, it's always the microservices discussion. Movo has north of 120 features, something like 130 features at last count. You always have to start, like your MVP is going to be a monolith. There's just no way you'd be so slow if you started out of the gate with 130 services and you don't have the money and you don't have the time. You build the monolith and in the back of your head as you're building the monolith, you always are doing this mental check of how will this look when this is broken into services? And then when you reach the threshold on some part of your platform, let's go spend a sprint and let's go break them out. I think we've just, we've tried to do things just more sanely and rationally as we go along. And it, and it is, they pop up to you and you look at something and you go, geez, it is about time because there are like 10 different other features that depend on it. And it's just too much of a hassle. Anytime we make an update there, we're like just driving ourselves crazy with all the dependency control. As you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of? It's the space that I'm in. Every dollar of revenue that we have is helping somebody, most likely helping multiple people and multiple sides. And I think we're building products for good. And that's really helping people get ahead. And I'm super proud of everything that we're building, everything that we're doing. Being a venture-backed founder who can build companies like this and have this kind of impact on the world, it's really my life's work. Let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. One of our, our jobs, one of our key jobs in early stage is running experiments. And there's a real cost to not running experiments. You can go down a wrong path. You can bet on the wrong technology. You can bet on the wrong market. You can bet on the wrong team members. So you've got to be just continually running experiments. And a lot of people would count a lot of those things as mistakes when they're experiments. I think they're like intentional mistakes. I'm not sure that I have any better uh, success rate than anybody else. If you're trying to build a successful company, then you need to be running hundreds of experiments a year. And you need for more than one of them to be good. But it's only once a company, maybe twice a company, that you're going to hit 
a revolutionary success from an experiment or from a direction or from a decision. The way that you really build success in a startup, it's the 10% of experiments that work out and the 90% or 95% of things or whatever your ratio of, of things that didn't work out that you get to reject and save everybody's time and energy on. I'm covered in scars. I'm covered in scars of the, the thousands of experiments that I've run in my career so far. And sometimes it's hard. It's really hard to separate a good idea from a dumb idea because a lot of good ideas look like dumb ideas at first. You have to trust that it's like reasonable enough and come at it from the perspective of optimism and holy smokes, what if this works out? This would be amazing. That's the space where all of these real kind of company changing, career changing experiments are. And then the month over month growth and month over month profit margin improvements and EBITDA improvements. Those are all from the three, four, five, ten small experiments that worked out last month, last quarter. Well, this will be fun. Tell me what the future looks like for the product and for your team at Movo. If you look at the frontline workforce that's coming into the work to into the traditional employer of today, uh, whether you're a bottler out there or a CPG company or a telecoms company, one of the big telecoms operators in your country, a big clean tech company, a big hospital system, if you look at your frontline workers of today, and if you look at your frontline workers of three years out, of five years out, they will all, if they don't already, they will all expect you to have smooth operational software and HR software in their mobile devices that they use all the time. That reality is the world that we're building towards. And beyond that, who knows, maybe in 20 years, we've all got glasses instead of mobile devices. But I think the reality is the same. We're all expecting our software at work to be real time and super relevant all day long. That frankly is, that's the world that we're building into. That's that's what Movo's here for. That's what the team and I are working on. Let's switch to you, Jason. Who influences the way that you work? Name a person or many persons or something you look up to and why. I started working very early. I started working part-time when I was 14, 15. So I've, I've got decades of experience at this point. When you grow up poor, you don't know how the world works. You can spend a lot of time sort of making a lot of mistakes on your own. And I think I got a bit of a late start. As much as I started working very early... I think my 20s were, for me, a decade where I made a lot of mistakes that probably could have been avoided, or a, a kid who had grown up with a different background would have just not gotten into because they would have been on the right track here and the right track there and the right track there, and it just you know benefited from, I think, having middle class or upper middle class home environment is probably a huge leg up for most people. If you don't even have to think about it and you get into Princeton undergrad, there's so much that won't go wrong. <laughs> you can still make a lot of mistakes. I was out there in the working world, hacking it and getting this experience. I did a lot of work abroad. I tried to work in international companies and get more of this foundation. I look back on all of that and the people who helped me the most in my career were the people who said, yeah, you could go work on that for a year, but you could also just go to this particular meeting where that decision will be made 
and you'll save yourself a year of work and you'll get to the same destination. It's just your approach was going to be to brute force it through hard work. And actually, there's a shortcut. And I just think in work, as in fishing, as in life in general, if you want to succeed, you got to know the shortcuts too. The most successful people are the people who know how to work their butts off and also how to work in the very, very smartest way by taking the available shortcuts. And those have been the people who have just opened my eyes. Oh, there's actually a committee that meets for supper once a quarter and they decide that. Or in this particular jurisdiction, it's actually the county commissioner who makes that decision, but really it's his deputy and go have dinner with him. It's the people who have really helped me to figure out as a bootstrap poor kid how decisions really happen in big organizations. Those have been people who have really helped me the most. Okay, last question, Jason. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world and can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit many times? I think you can really boil down the first year or two of a company to continually being just obsessive about product market fit. Because you can have it, you can lose it, you can mistake the signals and then make some bad decisions. There are all kinds of things that can happen. The market can simply move, right? I was building this product for this group of customers and now they don't do that anymore. Now one of the fangs published an update and now they have three different ways to get that for free. If they aren't at product market fit, there are a lot of people who are just starting out and, you know, they have project in their MBA or they're doing startup club at their school. My advice is maybe a little bit untraditional in that I usually tell them not to start a company. I usually tell them, great that you have those ideas and that you're trying to put something into the world. Keep all that, but first go an apprentice with an experienced founder for a couple of years somebody who's raised money a couple of different times at different stages, a team who has successfully exited maybe a couple of times, has has put some really big products into the world. In those two years, you'll learn, not to repeat my mistake, you'll learn what you could have learned in 10 years of making mistakes on your own. It's a lot easier to just go apprentice with that team, work for them for one, two, three years, depending on how it's going, if it's still interesting or whatever, You'll not only have all of that experience that you'll already bring to your company when you do found it, but you'll have all their investor relationships from their cap table and the investors that you had coffee with at the office and all those kinds of things that, if you're doing well, are going to be the first checks into the company that you will start. And having that is removing, having those two things is removing 80, possibly 90% of the risk that you have as a first-time founder. I think that's fantastic advice. Couldn't agree more. Well, Jason, thank you for being on the show today. And thank you for telling the creation story of Movo. Thanks so much. I appreciate you having me here. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening.
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.